welcome to the Hybrid Cub Scout Podcast with me, Emily Einolander. And me, Corinne Kalaski. Hello. We're mapping the frontier between traditional and indie publishing. And today we are honored to have Rakesh Satyal. Rakesh Satyal is the author of the novel Blue Boy, which won the 2010 Lambda Literary Award for Gay Debut Fiction and the 2010 Prose Poetry Award from the Association of Asian American Studies. Satyal was a recipient of a 2010 fellowship in fiction from the New York Foundation for the Arts and two fellowships from the Norman Mailer Writers Colony. His writing has appeared in New York Magazine, Vulture, Out Magazine, and The All. A graduate of Princeton University, he has taught in the publishing program at New York University and has been on the advisory committee for the annual Penn World Voices Festival. He lives in Brooklyn. Welcome. Hello, thank you for having me. So, so first, let's let's start with the question that's on everybody's mind. How are you? How are you doing your life right now? Like, <laughs> how are it's, you conducting? Uh, yeah, I mean, it's pretty crazy. I mean, I have not left the apartment in, in nine days now. <laughs> oh, it's God. Uh, yeah. pretty crazy. Um, you know, I I kind of you know one of the things about working in publishing is there's no dearth of good things to read. So I actually had two revisions that authors just turned in that I really enjoyed reading through because I had time to do that. And um, I just edited another novel and I just read a good book. And so, I mean, I, you know, I'm making do. It's pretty eerie. Um, and, you know, we, we're conducting all of our meetings on Zoom and on Microsoft Teams. And it's, you know, things are proceeding apace, but it's a pretty crazy time. <laughs> mm-hmm. Would you say that you as an editor are getting more done right now? Or no? Um, well, that would mean that I'm not usually getting things done. But I, um, I, think, <laughs> I mean, <you> know, <laughs> um, it is funny because you know agents have asked, you know, are people reviewing submissions as much or what? And I'm like, you know, if you have a big long novel, now's the time to submit it, I guess, because people are sitting around reading. Um, but you know, I think we we love books, and a lot of the job is part of that but there are there are logistical things that are difficult just because putting a book into production or getting books shipped and stuff like that but I think we've actually been quite agile there and I think it's been relatively smooth so famous last words I guess but I think it's complicated. <laughs> <laughs> so so um so shipments and uh are going out and coming in from uh from overseas or like is that still happening or is it all on hold for a little while it's funny I don't know the exact logistics about international shipping, but again, I mean, we, you know, books are being published and books are shipping and, you know, the retailers are reassessing as necessary. But, you know, I mean, I should note that, you know, Atria in particular had a big bestseller this week, Rebecca Searle's new book in five years. And that was a really amazing group effort to make that book a success. So I think, you know, so like that speaks to, and, and if I have it correctly, I believe the sales were up week two. So like, you know, like I think, people are reading and, you know, we're trying to make books available to people um, because who doesn't want to be reading right now? I know I do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. So what got you into working as a book editor? And can you just give us a little bit of a rundown of how you got to where you are in your career? Yeah, I, um, so I was in the creative writing program um, as an undergrad at Princeton, and this is such a name-dropping thing to say, but the first person who actually made me aware that publishing would be 
a legitimate profession that would kind of match my academic interests was Joyce Carol Oates because I had a class with her my sophomore year um, in college. And she just kind of pulled me aside at the end of class one day and said, you know, you, you give good feedback on people's work. Have you ever thought about working in book publishing? So I, you know, like many people, I didn't know anything about book publishing. I didn't know, you know, that it was a career that I could look into upon, uh, you know, leaving college. So I actually interned uh, for a legendary editor, Jerry Howard, at uh, what was then the Double A Broadway Publishing Group. So I interned there before my senior year of college. And then I started working for him the Monday after I graduated. So it was very, very Damn. Quick. Um, That's incredible. Yeah, it was very fast. Yeah, and he was an amazing mentor. And, it, you know, it just, a lot of it is on-site experience. I mean, yes, you have to, you know, what I say to people who interview for publishing jobs is I think one of the reasons why I ended up getting my first jobs in publishing was because I didn't pretend to know what the job was. I just said, you know, I think I have strong communication skills. I think I'm a strong writer. I love to read. I love books. You know, I'm organized. I think these are skills that would serve me well in this job. I didn't say, oh, I know exactly how this works and I'll be perfect on day one. So I think, you know, I just bring that enthusiasm and just knowing it was going to be a fair bit of hard work was very important. So, um, so yeah, I worked there. Uh, that was my first job. Then I worked uh, at Doubleday Broadway for four and a half years and then HarperCollins for four and a half years. And then I actually had a three-year detour where I worked in branding, both in the Bay Area and back here in New York, and then uh, about five years ago came back into book publishing. So it's you know it's been a long tail, but it's uh, you know it's it kind of followed very logically from beginning that first job and working hard basically. So how do you balance your writing career with your editing career, and how do you sort of switch between those two mindsets? You know, it's it is difficult. I mean, I'm not going to lie because it is the same. It's the, just two different sides of the same coin, obviously. So it's, you know, I, I'm kind of a hypocrite to my authors because I'm always telling them, you know, set a schedule and be very regimented and be, you know, write every day and, you know, have a roadmap. And I don't do any of that with my own writing because <laughs> I just, you know, it's, it's it, I think what's important for people to realize is that different people work in different ways and figure out what your work ethic is. doesn't mean it's going to resemble everybody else's, but the way I've traditionally worked is I set aside time, especially on the weekends to write. And usually I will find a period of time, um, you know, if it's a residency, if it's a fellowship, if it's something to that effect, where I can just sit and generate work, where I can you know treat it like a work day where I get up in the morning, I write till lunchtime, I take a lunch break, I write the entire afternoon, and I just am generating creative work that I can then go back and revise and shape into the larger scope of the project. Um, so I, I, I found that relatively effective. And when I was writing my first book, I kind of tell people I, I, I went to this now defunct coffee shop on the Upper East Side that was actually the model for Central Perk on Friends. <laughs> and they had chairs everywhere. And, you know, I had my heavy, heavy Dell laptop and I would take it and I would write, you know, every Saturday and Sunday. And that was how I really got that manuscript off the ground. And then I took a trip to San Francisco to house it for a friend and just finished it, it you know, finished a big long draft that was messy and needed work, but it just, you know, kind of pushed me to, um, to do it. And with my last book, I mean, the same thing, I've been working on it on and off. And then I just kind of came to the realization that a lot of us come to, which is, oh, if I don't do this, like sit down and do it, it's not going to get done. Like it's not anybody else's responsibility. I have to do it. So, um, you know, that having that switch kind of flick and go, okay, I need to really 
batten down the hatches. So I, you know, I, I same thing. I house that for a friend here in New York. Um, it just used the apartment as kind of a workspace and and works. So, you know, it's tough editing work. You know, I uh, most editors will tell you they don't edit at work. You know, we do a lot of that work outside of the the nine to five. Um, but you know, I I take that very seriously. And I do think in the editing, I'm a bit more regimented. Where like, uh, you know, I'll edit something and I'll set aside a time every day to address that that project and to really sit down and sit with it. Um, so it's two different ways of working, but it is again important to kind of figure out what type of person you are and what type of work ethic you want to create. So you don't find yourself um, self-editing as much when you're working through a draft of your own work. Um, you know, I try not to. That's a very good question. I try not to. Um, I think we're all we all fall prey to that more than we'd like to admit. But yes, I do. You know, you do have to push forward. I think that, you know, you're always going to be a stronger writer the second after what you just wrote gets on the page. Like you're just, you're always honing it. You're always getting stronger. So there'll always be a rationale for why you feel like you have to go back and correct that. But that is the important thing is I think a really key thing to learn is what a first draft is and what revision looks like. Because getting to a first draft stage is really vital. And you're the only person who has to see that draft. You know, like, like you don't have to show it to anybody if you don't want to. But if you don't actually get to that end point and just kind of figure out what you got, so to speak, then you're never going to get to the next stage of refinement. So yeah, it's important to know that difference. It's it's easier. I think uh, we had someone in an earlier episode say something like it's, you can, you can edit bad words, but you can't edit no words. Oh, that's great. Yeah. <laughs> that's totally, that's exactly it. Yep. Yeah. Yep. So as someone who works in publishing, as you do, uh, what has been your approach to actually getting your own books published and kind of at what point did that uh, happen for you? Um, I wrote um, I wrote my first book, Blue Boy, between 2003 and 2007-ish. Um, and I, you know, it's, it is a, I wish I could tell, tell you that it's just the easiest publishing process, but you know, when you're sort of a double minority, so to speak. So like, you know, it is, you know, some of those things are true about like what, you know, reactions you get from people where they think it's less rather than more because it's, you know, pigeonholed or, you know, people can be dismissive. So I, you know, the good thing is, you know, Kensington who published my first book really did a wonderful job of publishing it and really believed in it and it still sells and it still finds its audience. And that was, you know, they, they published it in the right format. They were wonderful to work with. And then, you know, Picador who did my second book, I mean, I worked with just an absolutely spectacular editor, Anna DeVries, who is just was a joy to work with. And, and she really got the book. And I think that's the thing is like, sometimes you just have to it's if somebody really understands your work deeply on the editorial level and really understands the vision you had for it, that's really the most important thing. And I think they took such care with the way in which they, she took such care of the way in which she edited it. And I learned so much as an editor being edited by her, but they also were just very thoughtful about the ways in which they, they went about publishing that book. So, um, you know, it's, it's, I try not to, take those considerations into mind more than I need to because I would just like to focus on my work. And the truth is, I think, you know, I have a pretty realistic idea of the way in which publishing works. And I, I, since I know certain things about it and just the way in which the industry works, I don't really try to concern myself with that because it just isn't relevant to the work. I mean, it's relevant in the sense that like, I do try to write books that subvert 
a, an expected narrative. So like that I take into account, like my last book, no one can pronounce my name, it's very meta, like consciously meta about the publishing industry in the latter half of it. And it's very much about who gets represented as writers, what, you know, what a writing community looks like, who finds purchase within it, like all that stuff that I took very meaningfully as I was constructing it because I was writing from a, um, a place of experience. But in terms of like the logistics of the publishing or some of that stuff, I try not to, you know, I, I try to lead with the creative end of things as opposed to the commercial end of it. Sounds like you do a pretty good job of separating those uh, two parts of your life. Yeah, I think, you know, I, I, writing should be fun. I think, you know, I, I think it, like it is difficult work, but it should be enjoyable. And I think, you know, that's my chance, you know, after, you know, on the weekends when I'm, you know, not working at my nine to five job, which I enjoyed a great deal, obviously, but, you know, just being like, okay, this is mine. Like, this is, this is the time I have for myself. And here's the time I've set aside to do something creatively that means something to me. And that's invaluable. I had a question that sort of segues from uh, the last one a little bit. Because you sort of worked in the industry, did you feel like your expectations as an, as an author were kind of a little more tempered and realistic than a lot of sort of authors who were just coming into it, obviously not having worked in the industry? Yeah, I think, yeah, I think so. I mean, I, I think I have a pretty, you know, if a book takes off and it's successful, that's wonderful. And it's due to the hard work of a lot of people who love books, but, you know, it's not a given. And so you're absolutely right. I mean, I think I have... Um, pretty real. I mean, I, I assume my editor and publicist and other publishing people would say as much, but I think it was pretty easygoing. Um, yeah, yeah so like, I editor, would think so. Yeah, yeah absolutely. <laughs> I mean, if you kind of know how the sausage gets made, you know, I feel like you're kind of like, okay, I know how this works. Like, yeah, you know, you're yeah. coming from a place of, of having had that experience. So I was just curious. And that's what I figured. So thank you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, I'm a little curious about your detour into uh, branding. Like, how did that come about, and why did you end up wanting to come back to publishing afterward? Uh, it's it's a funny story, actually. I, you know, like many people in publishing, I kind of, you know, I was kind of mid-career, and I thought, you know, should I look into doing something else? I mean, I think I'm a creative person. Like, you know, maybe I should look into another industry and see how it is. And I actually was also very, in, you know, kind of attracted to the idea of living in San Francisco because I, you know, really loved San Francisco and I had a couple of good friends who lived there. And every time I visited it, I always felt like a sense of communion with that place. So I, um, there was an article in the New Yorker in the fall of 2011 written by John Colapinto um, that was about uh, a boutique naming firm that was the first of its kind. So it's it's kind of the gold standard of, of naming firms. So they named any number of very well-known products and companies. And I just kind of cold emailed the CEO and said, this is my background. This is, you know, my, here's my resume. And, you know, he said, we're inundated with resumes, but I really like yours. If you're in town, look me up. And I did the following February. And it's funny, I, I more or less got hired on the spot. And I had two weeks to move to San Francisco after 10 years of living in New York. Um, oh, my God. <laughs> so it was very quick. Um, and, you know, I just thought, you know, I, I, it was really a sea change for me because I went out there and I liked the work. It was very creative work. It's difficult work. Um, you know, we met with every major client and startup you could imagine. This was 2012. So it was a very Bay Area time to be there. Mm -hmm. um, and lo and behold, I mean, ironically, that July, I met my now husband who ironically was working in book publishing and I was not. <laughs> um, and we, you know, so I basically, you know, I was there for almost two years and then I came back um, to New York and worked for a branding firm here in the city. Um, 
And, you know, I, I again, I, it was very creative work. I liked it a lot. It was very cool. Um, and, but I, I really realized, so I really miss working with authors. I love, you know, I was working on my second book at that time. I was really in the weeds of it and kind of figuring it out. And I thought, you know, I really do enjoy, especially since I was back in New York, I was like, you know, I'd run into people all the time and I'd run into authors, I'd run into agents, I'd run into former colleagues. And I just thought, you know, I have this marketing branding experience now that will serve me well if I apply it to my publishing job. And at that time, the publisher of Atria, who founded the imprint, Judith Kerr, who's a real visionary, I mean, she came from a marketing background as well. And she has a very, very keen eye for packaging and promotion and positioning. And so, you know, it was a good fit because I felt like she appreciated the fact that I'd been in a different industry and was coming into publishing with that expertise. So, um, you know, it was it was a it was a step by step kind of process, um, but that was a very a very helpful education I got in that industry, and it has served me well being back in publishing now. Um, can you can you give an example maybe of a way that it's helped out with uh, with your publishing career? Um, I think you know one of the things I was very conscious of when I came back because I'd been seeing it through that lens was just brand, like branding an imprint. Like like I'll, I mean I think most people understand this, but probably the imprint that's that solved that puzzle uh, maybe the most effectively is Riverhead. Like they've just they have such a you know, they have brilliant editors and they have a brilliant kind of structure of the way the imprint is run and you know their packaging is just incredible and and like but there's a sensibility about them like you really know when they publish a book that it's really them behind it so I, I started to see that sort of coalescing a bit more when I came back into publishing and this was certainly true of Atria and Judith at that, that time and even our new team we have in place because uh, in the past couple of years we've had a new publisher a new editorial director a new head of integrated marketing and they are very savvy about the ways in which they approach the books and how we we give space to them and how we publish them so you know it just seeing little things like that steps that people are taking to be like oh we want a cultural identity as an imprint and that will be reflected not just in our workforce but in the books that we publish so um you know, I think that's that's a, 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 a an interesting thing to keep in mind. And I think, you know, I, if I have it correctly, I remember finding out a couple of years ago that Riverhead in particular, you know, they, they publish, they have a relatively small list for the year, but they have like six publicists, which is why you always see their books everywhere because they're so good at promoting their books. So like that kind of structure, rethinking the, the kind of weighting of how the imprint is run and how it's put together is very helpful to, to observe. I think that's really uh, a really interesting angle to bring to a big publishing company because I think when I think of niche and when I think of branding, I always think of like indies who really, really have a set identity and only do a particular kind of book. So I, I think it's interesting, the idea of trying to apply that to a, a company that's been around for a long time. Um, and maybe has gone through different iterations. So yeah, I think, you know, it, and actually the, I should note the conversation I was having about that very structure was with the genius Fiona McRae who runs Grey Wolf and you know similar I mean Grey Wolf is just you know they're they're geniuses over there and they have really figured out you know the fact that like the quality of your books is what you have to go on and then the editorial sensibility that you apply to them is your calling card and they you know have such a an extraordinary list because of that and they're they've been able to publish books and give them a voice in a way that I think I, don't, I think few other places would be able to do. So it is, you know, that is a very uh, a kind of key thing to learn about the way in which books are published and who publishes them. So how do you uh, exactly approach acquiring the books that you acquire? 
Uh, you know, there's a, there's there are two approaches in a way. I mean, there's obviously projects we get in from agents that we consider, but then you know a lot of it's being proactive and going after people. You know, going after writers that you admire. I mean, one case in point I'll give you is I'm working on a really fantastic. Um, sort of unorthodox biography of Buster Keaton written by Dana Stevens, the film critic for Slate. And Dana is just, uh, you know, I've all loved her writing for years and she's a lovely human being as well. And, you know, I approached her because I just thought, you know, when I got to Atria I was working there, I was thinking of people with whom I wanted to work. And she was one of the writers, you know, that I just was so uh, excited to work with. So, the, you know, it's a combination of things. But I think, you know, I... I, I I do think you know I my list has a long-standing commitment to you know people who come from marginalized communities and who you know need to be given a, a bigger platform. So you know I uh, you know and I'm very involved in the line level of the writing with, of the authors with whom I work. So that's very key to me. You know the writing itself really um, really moves me. I mean another example I'll give you is I just did. Um, uh, now Danny Lavery, but former Daniel Mallory Orberg's new book, um, something that may shock and discredit you, and that was a that was a, an example of an author whom I admired for years and years, and dreamed, you know, my wildest dreams, I would dream that I would get to work with him one day, and that it was such a pleasure working on that book because he is a he is a legitimate genius. I mean, like he he is a he is a writer of the highest caliber and is a, a, a humorist of the highest caliber, and so. You know, there are publishing is long. It's it's a long it's a long tail business. So sometimes there will be writers that you don't get to work with initially, but eventually you get to. So it's a combination of things. I mean, I, I you know, I I want to you know if I react to the writing, I read a proposal or I read a manuscript, and I really um, take to the writing, and I can see a way forward to working with the author. Then that's oftentimes it's as simple as that. You know, but I mean there are different considerations you take into account. I mean, if you're publishing a nonfiction book and it's, you know, it's a book that needs a certain platform and there are certain things that the author can accomplish with that platform and you can optimize that as a publisher, then those are logistical considerations that come into play. Um, so it's a variety of things, but, um, you know, fiction is different because you typically get it as a full manuscript and you read the full manuscript and you can kind of see how the book shaped up and you can figure out how you're going to edit it or how you can work with the author to make it even stronger. Um, but nonfiction is different because obviously you're, you're typically buying it on a proposal and so you're working over the course of several years in many cases to construct that book with the author to figure out what it's going to look like. Since you do uh, work with so many uh, pop culture icons, I guess, have you ever approached one of them and they were kind of surprised at the idea of doing a book or are you usually working with people who have expressed interest in the past? Uh, you know, it, it can be like that. I mean, there are people that, you know, have, have wanted to write a book or have a book in them, but they haven't had the, just the time and space. I'll get one example is Jake Shears. When I worked with Jake on, um, his memoir, which is a fantastic memoir. And I, what, what happened was that years ago, I remembered that he had taken creative writing courses in college. I remember reading that in an article, I forget it was in, I don't know if it was Rolling Stone or where it was, but I, and, and so I knew that he had a bit of, cause like he was starting to explore some solo work and there was just a, there was a space there where I thought, you know, maybe now's the time to have this conversation. And so he and I worked on that book for a couple of years and, you know, it was, it, I think my reaching out is probably the impetus that like made him realize this was the time to do it. Um, but it was also something he'd been wanting to do for quite some time. So, um, uh, so, you know, it, it, it does depend on the situation. There are people that you approach, you're like, huh, I didn't think about that. But, you know, oftentimes you're looking for people who, you know, are their voice is so strong in one medium that you can see it translating to a book. The, a book. So that's what you're trying to keep in mind in those circumstances. 
what are some of the editing projects you've worked on that have really like stretched you and caused you to grow as a uh, editor, writer, person? Um, I mean, one book of which I'm inordinately, inordinately proud <laughs> is um, uh, Michael Ostiello's book, Spoiler Alert, The Hero Dies. Um, so this was a, uh, the backstory of this is really something and kind of speaks to what I was saying earlier, which is that publishing is sort of a long tail business. I, years ago when I worked at HarperCollins, I'd approached Michael about writing something kind of like a Paul Feig super geek type memoir about his love of television. Because at that time he was still at Entertainment Weekly and he had his very popular Ask Cielo column, which for people who don't know, Michael kind of pioneered that kind of column in which writer, you know, readers write into you and ask you questions like being like, I want to know what's going to happen with this plotline on Grey's Anatomy. And I want to know what's happening, you know, with this actress who's joining this TV show. And he would, you know, go and speak to the people in question and come back and provide answers to people. Um, so, you know, he got busy and then I got busy and then I left publishing for a bit and then I came back. And in the ensuing period, this really horrible thing happened where his, his longtime uh, boyfriend and then husband was diagnosed with a very rare form of uh, neuroendocrine cancer. And Michael had sort of been documenting some of this online. And I found the writing so moving and so darkly funny and just uh, really quite unlike anything I had read before. And so, you know, after his husband passed, I just kind of, I, I reached out kind of gently and said, this may be the very last thing in the world you want to do right now, but have you thought about writing about this long form? Because it is just, it is just extraordinary. And, you know, he thought about it for a little bit and then we worked on it. And, you know, I, you know, we worked on it for probably a couple of years and, you know, he had to write his way into it. And we had to think a lot about the structure. And, you know, it was after a, a fair bit of time where he figured that the book was probably going to toggle back between kind of 13 years preceding that last year and then the last year. And Michael was just such a wonderful person to work with him. He was so hardworking and he took it extremely seriously, obviously, and he's very funny. And it is, you know, I, I recommend that book to people. It's, um, you know, I remember he emailed me one day saying, I think I have a title. And he said, can I give you a call? And I said, okay. And, or no, I think he, he actually he did email it to me. And it was spoiler alert, spoiler alert, the hero dies. So I just had the wind knocked out of me because I thought, oh my God, that is so perfect and heart-wrenching. And it's a book I recommend to people because it's, it will change your life. It, it, it truly will change your life. It's very, um, it's life affirming and it's sad and it's heartbreaking, but it is just, you know, a testament to this long-term relationship that had its ups and downs and um, challenges that I think everybody in kind of long relationships, romantic or not, go through. And so anyway, it was, it was a book that really changed me profoundly. And it was, it was, it was, I learned a great deal about how a book is made and how a story is told. And, and you know, I should say that, you know, uh, Jim Parsons optioned that book to turn it into a film and hopefully that will happen at some point. Um, but it's, uh, I, I recommend it very highly. It's, it's really fantastic. I'm sold. Yeah, me too. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Oh, do you, can I ask my uh, Tory questions now? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I will tell Take you, it. so none of these are ultra personal. I completely like respect her privacy. I like totally get that because I know a lot of her fans are insane. So I'm not one of them, just so you know. Um, They're just enthusiastic. They're not insane. Exactly. Very enthusiastic. That's the right word. Um, Friends not like other girls. I'm not. <laughs> I'm a fun fan. That's right. Um, okay. So did she about this particular book or did you approach her? Um, you know, it's, it's, I 
we, you know, I go back to see her backstage when she comes to New York. And I, if this was 2017 at that time, and, and it was the Native Invader tour, and it was obviously very emotional because, you know, people were trying to make sense of the world. And it was, you know, it was, all of her shows are amazing, but I was very moved that evening. And it just to see this, you know, legendary person who is just every bit as warm and smart and considered as you'd want her to be. And I was just chatting with her afterwards. I just thought, you know, have you thought about, right? Cause I'd worked on her first book years ago. So we, that's, that's the reason why we had been in touch. And, um, and you know, she is just amazing. I mean, she's just uh, talk about work ethic. I mean, like she is so um, thoughtful about everything in which she's creatively invested and um, the book is really great. I mean, she she is um, not afraid to you know go there and and talk about sensitive things and try to try to make sense of the world. And I actually, you know, for as um, difficult as things are right now, I mean, I really think this is a book that people are going to um, savor because it is what we need right now. Like it's 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 honest and and really uh, contends with the large issues in the world right now. So yeah, she's, she's, um, she's very special. I often say to people, you know, in cases like this, and people are like, oh, don't meet your heroes. Well, I'm like, if your heroes are lovely people, it's really not a problem. It's like, like, so, right, right. so, um, <laughs> yeah. That's the pull quote for this episode, by the yeah. way. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, did I hear you? Um, I was watching an interview uh, at Google with you and did mm. you say you'd worked with Clive Barker? I did. Um, when I was at Harper, I worked uh, briefly with Clive, who was so nice and, um, uh, you know, uh, lives a life unlike anybody else's. And, you know, uh, he, uh, yes. So um, he was, he was a lovely guy. Yep. Well, I'm glad to hear that. Too. <laughs> <laughs> so that's, that's my fangirl moment. <laughs> Um, so I think we've, uh, reached the end of our question. So I'm going to ask you to just plug whatever you would like to right now. I know you have a, a lot of things you potentially could, but. Yeah. Um, I mean, besides my own books, but I, you know, the two, two books I have coming up that, uh, you know, I would love for everybody to buy and read. Um, one is Michael Arsenault's new book. I don't want to die poor. Uh, Michael had a New York times bestseller that I worked on called I can't a Jesus, which was so funny. And this new book is very, very funny as well. Uh, it's mainly about his student loan debt. Um, so it's very relevant to what people are going to through right now. Um, so that goes on sale in early April. Um, Michael is so funny and is just, just a, a star. He's a star. Um, and then Tori's book, which is May 5th. So it's called resistance. And, um, it's, uh, you know, uh, if you know her music or you don't, you will enjoy it. Um, for people who love her music, you will especially appreciate it because um, she really delves into some of the stories behind songs that we all love and that are incredibly thought-provoking. So that's that's kind of what I have coming up. Um, but, you know, please read, please get out there and, you know, don't get out there actually, but get in there and um, get, get in there. Online. And, um, right. Yeah, so those are a few things, but thank you so much. Okay. And then, um, and they can follow you on social media. Yeah. Small. Um, it's at Rakesh Sithyal. It's all just one handle and yeah, Twitter, Instagram, everything. So I'm out there. Hope you like puns. Yes. Cause that <laughs> I will be delivering them on mass. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> all right. Well, I know I do. So, um, 
<laughs> thank you so much, Rakesh. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. This is great. Thanks so much. And you can find us on Instagram at Hybrid Pub Scout Pod, at, on Twitter at Hybrid Pub Scout, on Facebook, Hybrid Pub Scout. So we hope to see you online. And thanks for giving a rip about books. Bye.